1: at luckylandslots.com available to players in the US excluding Washington and Michigan no purchase necessary VGW group void prohibited by law 18+ terms and conditions apply Welcome back to TV's top 5 the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast I'm Leslie Goldberg West Coast TV editor and I'm joined as usual by my partner in crime Dan Feinberg THR's chief TV critic Welcome, Dan.
0: Why, thank you, Leslie. I just signed a 13 uh, year contract to be with this podcast, so I'm going to be here for the long haul.
1: And I too have a no trade clause. Dan, it's March 1st, and we live in a world where T Pain beat Gladys Knight on a singing competition. Brooklyn Nine-Nine was renewed for a seventh season, its second on NBC, and Netflix is rebooting the Babysitters Club for a new generation. All that, and the Dodgers just lost Bryce Harper, who signed with the Phillies for $13 It's been a week.
0: It has indeed, and I'm sorry about Bryce Harper. I, I'm sorry about Bryce Harper, both for you as a Dodgers fan, and also, I don't know why he's going to want to spend 13 years in Philadelphia, and I the say that. sign with Washington. And I, And I say that as someone who loves Philly, went to college in Philly, all praise Philly, but... Why do you need to sign a 13-year contract? Anyway, we are not a baseball podcast, at least not yet. Not yet,
1: but every week on the podcast, Dan and I do go beyond the headlines of the top TV stories and offer a deep dive into the latest news. With all that and all that baseball talk out of the way, let's get into it.
0: Number one.
1: Batting leadoff.
0: After... So you said we were out of the way
1: hey a transition's a transition dan <laughs> batting lead off after what felt like a marathon award season the oscars are finally over and dan correct me if i'm wrong and something tells me you might but it feels like abc's hostless show actually had some strong reviews and even if the best picture winner didn't go over very well
0: yeah definitely it feels like we've talked too much about the Oscars on this podcast which relates to when of course we started the podcast and relates to exactly how many stupid news stories there were surrounding the Oscars there were all of the horrible stories starting with Kevin Hart or maybe depending on how you look at it starting with the popular film Oscar category that didn't exist and then going to Kevin Hart and then going to the musical performances that weren't going to be in the show but then were and then going to the various categories that were going to be presented during commercial breaks and then taped for Live airing or something. Anyway, there were so many different disasters that were in play with the Oscars that the telecast itself ended up being a pleasant surprise. So no, I'm not going to correct you if you're wrong. I think that the reviews for the telecast were were fairly positive, including mine. I, I think that if you look at the show itself, there were at least five good moments. You know, everyone will define them themselves. Yes. However they want to.
1: Lady Gaga won an Oscar and made the country wonder about the nature of her relationship with Bradley Cooper. Glenn Close didn't win, but went viral anyway for her spot on assessment of Billy Porter's incredible tuxedo gown on the red carpet. And meanwhile, Melissa McCarthy and her husband, Ben Falcone, became my marriage goals with Matching Adidas tracksuits on the red carpet. Those were my highlights, Dan. What about you?
0: (laughs) Well, no, and those were absolutely two or three. I don't know if we really count Ben Falcone and Melissa McCarthy on the...
1: don't judge my love for Adidas tracksuits.
0: I would not dare. I would say that Melissa McCarthy in the costume from The Favourite with Brian Tyree Henry and the little favourite style rabbit puppet, I think that would count as a potential highlight. I think there were a lot of very good speeches. I think that the costume and production design wins for Black Panther, which were both milestone wins for African-American women, those were genuinely significant. And I, I think that the earnest speeches that they gave, the earnest speech that Olivia Colman gave when she beat Glenn Close, that was a fantastic speech. I thought all of the speeches for the winners of the various shorts awards, the awards that the Academy was so desperate to move out of the main telecast, I, I thought they were all wonderful and important reminders that you need to point out to the Academy every year. Those are always the best moments because those are people for whom this means significantly more. This is this was Mahershala Ali's second Oscar. I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but now he has the Oscar that he has to be vaguely apologetic and chagrined for. And everyone is going to go, hey, wasn't that the time you played the role where the guy's entire family distance themselves from the movie and he has to go yes but i also went for moonlight which everyone said was great so (laughs) you know the the short people they and not i don't mean little people i mean the people who make short films they want it more it means more to them they don't have an entire run-up of award season stuff where they get to make the same speech every single time so they should never even be threatened with being cut out of the show now on the other hand they were also going to move the editing award out of the main telecast, and once they gave that to Bohemian Rhapsody, it showed that maybe maybe they don't deserve good things, the Academy. But yeah, it, I thought it was a good telecast. I didn't miss the absence of hosts. Did you Did you miss, I assume you did not miss, Kevin Hart's presence?
1: I did not. No spoiler <laughs> alert there. I did not. And he actually came out of this pretty unscathed. I mean, look at it. He This week, FX announced that they picked up a, a scripted comedy that he's exec producing the series, and... and I mean, the fact that he can walk away from this with zero damage to his reputation and his businesses is astounding to me.
0: I was not worried because I once again, and we said this when we talked about it the whole time, nothing that was revealed about Kevin Hart was hidden. No one did any deep dives. And so Kevin Hart's got that Jumanji money. He He doesn't need to to worry. I was not really particularly worried about him. But no, the the telecast proved it for the most part did not need a host.
1: Yeah, and you've looked, <laughs> if you look at the numbers, the broadcast was up 10% from last year's all-time low with a viewership of nearly 30 million and it came in at what felt like a trim, 3 hours and 14 minutes. It wasn't all good news though for ABC. Whiskey Cavalier, the special preview of the Lauren Cohan, Scott Foley action drama drew a whopping total of 4.2 million total viewers and a .8 in the all-important demo and its official return on Wednesday night in its series premiere time slot did about the same 4.1 and a point seven.
0: I am very much with the former Fox and NBC uh, programming executive known as the mask scheduler on Twitter in noting that stunts like this basically never work and that ABC really did that show no service. There was no way that, the airing after the Oscars was really going to have any positive impact because it was always going to be at a ridiculously late hour for for most of the country. It was going to be at a different time for everyone in the country. It was going to be chopped off on your DVR if the telecast ran long, which, of course, it was going to do. Then they were going to be re-airing the same episode on Wednesday amidst a barrage of advertisements. I don't know when I've last seen... An array of advertisements as aggressive as this. They were doing two Whiskey Cavalier ads per commercial break during the Oscars. And then anyone who watches any of ABC's comedies on the Tuesday night comedies, the Chiron. It was everywhere. At the Chiron at the bottom of the screen, you had Lauren Cohan and Scott Foley basically running through every single episode of a comedy on Tuesday on ABC. They made that show look obnoxious and annoyingly ubiquitous when. The show was just a little light, fun trifle, and people really would have liked that show if ABC hadn't actively scared them away from it.
1: But and that's also a good question too. Like, how many people actually noticed all of the the promotion around it on ABC? I
0: I think people. I think people noticed. I do. I because I think people feel like things like that are overbearing and heavy handed. I, I think people really do recognize when something is being jammed down their throat and. Honestly, I didn't think the promotion was all that bad. I kind of liked the cute... Promo oh, it was very clever. I thought, yeah, the, the cute promo commercials that didn't tell you what they were until the end, that kind of looked like they were perfume or hotel or whatever commercials, those weren't bad.
1: That's clever, like I said.
0: But then the fact that they had to follow every single one of those with an actual straightforward Whiskey Cavalier premieres tonight, starring Lower and Cohan and Scott Foley, any subtlety or amusement that you got out of the original commercials, just out the window, It just bad promotion and bad scheduling strategy and it's that should have been a show that could have that could have just been in ABC schedule for five or six or seven years doing slightly above average ratings for years and I feel like they killed it out of the bat though I was amused on Thursday morning with all of ABC's celebration that it was their best performance in that time slot since September. And then that it was did far better than whatever that awful game show is that CBS premiered after the Super Bowl. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's sad. I not again, not hugely sad. The world is full of much sadder things. Uh, Yes. But it's a dumb thing.
1: What was your biggest highlight from the Oscar night?
0: My biggest highlight was well Adam Lambert and the surviving members of Queen, clearly. Amy Poehler in a tuxedo. (laughs) no that was i'm on brand they're all they're always funny (laughs) that those three and and they're always funny and inevitably they show up and they do this little bit of banter on any award show and everyone on twitter goes why were they not just the hosts and they don't need to be they don't need to be exactly there's no i mean
1: i would make no mistake i'm here for that but at the same time just the fact that they're going to come out and do their bit every time that's great
0: i'm here for it it totally is and also it's not like Every producer of every award show doesn't go to Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and go, you want to host? Because I assume that they get an offer that's a standing offer for every award show.
1: Yeah, we went out to them to host this and, you know, sadly, they passed oh, and we're that's... here. Tina Fey so could replace me
0: on this podcast and any Amy Poehler, day of the week.
1: You know what? I would co-host with Amy Poehler. I wouldn't give up my seat. Well, my highlight of Oscar <laughs> night was the fact that all the acting winners have been in TV series or are about to be Rami Malek, of course, doing the final season of USA's Mr. Robot. Olivia Coleman next is is subbing in to The Crown on Netflix due later this year, where she's very likely to be in the Emmy race so again. Regina King will top line HBO's long anticipated and highly anticipated Watchmen from Damon Lindelof. That will be promoted heavily during the final season of Game of Thrones. And of course, Mahersha Ali wrapped season three of True Detective. Dan, it's the TV invasion.
0: It really is in case anyone hadn't, you know, noticed that before. No, I, it's, these are definitely people who TV audiences have known well anyway. But I feel like that point that you just made about Mahershala Ali and True Detective, that feels like a, uh, what do we call it? We
1: call that a transition. okay. For our second topic, while Mahershala Ali was busy winning the Oscar for a supporting turn in Green Book, he was wrapping up the third season of True Detective on HBO.
0: Number two.
1: Dan, you did not like season three. And I quote, this true detective season was essentially garbage. What happened?
0: I have to emphasize that is a wildly out of context quote.
1: I mean, you wrote True Detective the, was essentially garbage. Those are
0: absolutely <laughs> the words I used. There is no question, but it's like one of those blurb quotes where it has the, uh, the ellipses before and after. Because if you put the ellipses in front of those, I believe that the full sentence is, in terms of the season's mystery, this True Detective season was essentially garbage. And that I stand by completely. It was a... It's a fine line here. Only sort of, because it depends on how you approached the season. If you approached it as a who done it or a why done it or a mystery that you could solve, and people have in the past approached True Detective as being that, everyone watched that first season. They were like, "Oh, who's the Yellow King? Oh, who's the who are the suspects?" There were basically no suspects. For this particular crime, which involved the death of one child and the disappearance of another, there were no real motivations. The two main characters played by Mahershala Ali and Steven Dorff did basically no investigation of any meaningful purpose. A spoiler warning, but not actually spoiling anything specifically. Basically, all they accomplished in seven episodes leading up to the finale was that they managed to find a person who could, they could sit down with who explained the entire plot of the season. That's not good mystery writing. So sorry, Nick Pizzolatto, if you thought that you were making a good mystery this season, you were not. That being said, I think that the season was much more of a one-person character study than any previous season. And I think that it succeeded vastly more as a peek into this one detective's mind. And so you had Mahershala Ali giving a performance that I would expect is going to be an Emmy nominated performance for sure and at this moment if you ask me I would guess it it will be a winner and you know anything can happen between now and then I'm not but
1: right but you were, we were talking about this before we started recording but is he going to be in the best drama category or could HBO move him to limited series because drama he's gonna to have to face off against Game of Thrones
0: well and it happens that lead actor in a drama really is a category that Game of Thrones is not going to be a realistic player in. Maybe Kit Harrington gets a nomination. He's not going to deserve to win. Do you bump Peter Dinklage to lead? It, I, well, that would be a question that HBO could ask, but I don't think that they would want to. So it comes down to the first two seasons were submitted as drama. And that first season was submitted as a drama due to somewhat unearned confidence on HBO's part that it was a bigger category and that they wanted to play in that field. They thought that they had a guaranteed Emmy win for Matthew McConaughey, and they thought they had a chance of winning for series. They were wrong, but they still got nominations in those things. The second season wasn't really an award contender because it was bad. And the third season, I think it could be. But are they going to suddenly now go, oh, wait, this has been a limited series the entire time we were just lying to you before it sort of pulled the basically the reverse of Big Little Lies? Be like, oh, no, 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 it's it, this is always a limited series. It would feel like a cheat if they did anything other than submit it in the category it's been in before. And I think it really is true that HBO doesn't have a dominant performance in a lead category that would go there because again you're making up is somebody actually a lead from game of thrones And I don't think the answer is yes. I think the answer is really they should all be in the supporting field until it turns out that this is all Jon Snow's season and he ends up sitting on the Iron Throne and he he dominates the season and he dominates all of the six episodes and blah, blah, blah. Then maybe you go, okay, sure, it's Kit Harington, but otherwise you're just making a semi arbitrary choice. Whereas this is a great performance by a two time Oscar winning leading man and an Emmy nominee for House of Cards, I think it gives HBO strength in a category that they maybe didn't have strength in. And I don't think the show is at all as a series worthy of a drama series nomination, but I think there is no reason why they would be unable to get Mahershala a nomination and probably a win for drama and probably Steven Dorff uh, supporting nomination because with Westworld out of the field this year, there are a lot of random scattered nominations that, are out there there there's a lot of room in the emmy fields we talked last week or the week before about how game of thrones is going to win series and veep is going to win comedy series but there are a lot of things that are sitting out this year whether it's handmaid's tale whether it's the americans not being on anymore whether it's Westworld not making it by the deadline etc things Mm -hmm. yeah there's there's a lot of room so they might as well go if they think that the drama category really is a better category and they really also want to be putting all their weight behind sharp objects, even though its moment may have passed. I think drama series is where it goes. And I think Mahershala Ali is probably well positioned. And he was just, he was really great. Even when I wasn't the least bit interested in the mystery of this season, which I was not for a single second, there was no point at which in my mind- Right, I I believe
1: you called the mystery garbage.
0: That, (laughs) see, (laughs) now you've put it in proper context. Yes. It was all about setting you up. I understand you were, it was a tease. It was a jab, and I rose to the bait as I always, always will. You can rest assured that I will always rise to the bait. So, yeah, I think that the mystery was a waste. The Mahershala of it all was not. And so I guess the big question is there was this long gap between season two and season three where we weren't really sure if anyone... Wanted or needed a third season. The second season really did poison the water. The first season, everyone was like, Ooh, bring on season two. Everyone did the memes where they're like, any picture of two people, True Detective season two. And then. That was
1: actually a lot of fun. That was the most I've enjoyed True Detective. It was
0: totally fun, and people still do it, even though it has no particular meaning anymore. But the second season made it so that no one really cared if there was a third season. The third season, I feel like, got much better reviews other than me calling it essentially garbage so how would you look at the odds of us getting a a fourth season
1: i think hbo remains open to it everything that we've heard from casey bloys the programming president at hbo is that he's open to doing another season should nick puzzolato have another idea and (laughs) as we've learned from the, the gap between seasons two and three It takes time for that to happen. It takes time for HBO HBO does not want to rush any of this stuff, pretty much like anyone else in in the TV landscape right now with an awards player or a potential awards player or a franchise that's very important to the network. No one wants to rush anything. Everyone wants to take the time, get it right, cast it right, push it out in a time that makes sense. And promote it. Right. And and I think that's what you're going to see with True Detective. And if Nick has an idea and Casey likes it and HBO likes it, especially with HBO's mandate to do more under Warner Media, I don't think the book is closed on True Detective yet.
0: Yeah. Once we've kind of trimmed the season length down to just eight episodes in this case, like this season, it's not even such a big commitment from HBO. Eight episodes, even if they're eight expensive episodes, that's a drop in the bucket, though the ratings were not particularly good this season for whatever reason, perhaps the mystery being essentially garbage. Uh, (laughs) You know, I think people sense these things. But then again, you know, we, we have colleagues at other sites and around the interwebs who invested a lot of time and effort into kind of attempting to predict the results of this mystery that was not all that mysterious. So some people were engaged. I just wasn't engaged. But you know, if you give me another season of True Detective and if it's cast as well as they have, even the second season was marvelously cast. So bring me another season of True Detective and I would watch it, but maybe make the mystery a little better this time.
1: It's a good note to move on to. For our third topic this week, now that the news cycle has slowed down a little bit, let's talk about the curious case of Jesse Smollett.
0: Number three.
1: We're pleased to welcome a special guest this week, THR senior writer Michael O'Connell, who worked on this week's cover story about the embattled Empire star. Mikey, this billboard interview with Smollett from last summer really says a lot. In the story meant to raise consciousness about the lack of awareness about mental illness in the hip hop community, Smollett said, and I quote, I'm about to break. What are your takeaways about the actor who is now out on bail and has been written out of the final two episodes of the lead Daniels drama?
2: I mean, regardless of of what happened, and there's still so much information that's going to come out, this is a really sad story. And what makes it even sadder is the fact that there were kind of hints that something was wrong with him and his life last year. He gave two interviews that were in hindsight, quite telling one with Billboard about his own personal struggles, issues with jealousy, about how he was going to break, and another with the AP about his sort of fallout with Columbia Records, the label that puts out the Empire soundtrack. He signed a deal with them within two months of the show premiering because he really was the musical breakout, but nothing came of that. And he ended up self-financing and self-releasing his debut album in 2018, and it just did not sell. And I think that that definitely was affecting him.
0: Now, I'm kind of curious about this. What is our responsibility or your responsibility as a reporter when a story like this is breaking and we don't know things to sort of bring in those nervous moments, you know, that the sort of the trepidation. How, how much should you bring that stuff into the table when really what you're supposed to be doing is presumably believing a victim? Well, I think that we do get a little carried away on,
2: on both sides of things with taking what little the police are telling us for face value or completely believing a story when it comes out. I don't think that I saw alleged attack in a headline about... Jesse for a week. It was just the sort of everyone believed what he said and took him at face value. And in hindsight, a lot of stuff really didn't add up. And I think it's everyone's job to be sympathetic, but also to be a little more discerning and, and ask more questions. And I don't think that there was enough question asking in the immediate aftermath. There was just this rush to support him.
0: Of whom should one be asking those questions in that moment? It's sort of like, is is it an internal introspection thing? You know, what should we be looking for in this case to calm our nervousness or... Is it following up with police? Where where is the reporting that was supposed to be done in those first couple weeks?
2: Well, I mean, it's that's an evolving question because, I mean, the the role of the entertainment reporter has shifted so much in the last two years. And you want to know, it probably was more pressing on the police finding more details in the investigation instead of just getting our information from Lee Daniels posting uh, his Instagram story. I mean, that's not that that's not a way to digest information and and spit it out as fact. I think a lot of people uh, didn't handle this correctly.
1: Absolutely. And I think one of the things, too, that when you look at this, we still don't know what happened. The question with the allegations of if he faked this attack I mean, the ramifications are are massive. If indeed he is found guilty of of fabricating this attack, it's damaging for the African-American community, the LGBTQ community, Democrats. I mean, the effects are far reaching. And the only thing that we've heard from Chicago police, who initially said that Smollett was unhappy with his salary on Empire, and we did some reporting on that and and found out that he was— Actually, really well paid, going from forty to fifty thousand an episode in twenty fifteen to upwards of one hundred twenty five thousand, and putting him in the top tier, the second tier of actors behind stars Terrence Howard and Taraji P Henson. I mean, that's not true that, that he was unhappy, allegedly. I well, mean
2: I mean, we can't. Ga- I think that he actually said in an interview that he doesn't know happiness anymore. So yes, he was unhappy. But the police making the point about the salary of the show was odd to me like one of so many things it's just so odd because he was well compensated but he was also spending a lot of money because like I said he put out his own record he distributed himself he basically was running his own show on that front and that's expensive
1: Mikey you worked extensively on this week's cover story with Scott Johnson what's your big takeaway here
2: well that it's really hard to write about a moving target this could change at any moment we could find out more information. I think a lot of people are now are just waiting to see if he if he did if he did indeed fake this, if he admits it or if he's just going to keep maintaining this line that he is a victim in all this.
0: No, not to go. To Inside Baseball, but I know that we had a couple weeks in a row where we specifically didn't want to discuss this on the podcast because, as you say, it was a moving target, and we were pretty confident that whatever we said at one given moment was going to be different three hours later. Can you talk a little bit about how the cover story kind of came together and how it evolved, and what the challenges are of tackling a moving target in a cover story for a magazine as wonderful as the Hollywood Reporter? Oh, yes, I. I think what we wanted to do,
2: and our colleague Scott Johnson took the lead on this story, what we wanted to do was just sort of paint an accurate picture of who this guy is, where he was at in his career, and if things did indeed go this far off the rails, how they might have done that. And, ugh, God, I don't know if it's funny or sad, but the odd thing about all this is that no one I have spoken to or anyone I know of have spoken to has express anything but shock and sadness by this like this guy had a great reputation he was really well liked and i i have yet to talk to anyone who was like oh
0: this this fits if you had to guess what are the circumstances under which he could possibly return to empire (laughs) i mean the only scenario
2: in which he could return to empire is if everyone is wrong and he was actually a victim of a hate crime. And this is all gone completely off the rails. But I don't think that's where the evidence is pointing right now. So I I would be shocked if he ever saw another day on the
0: set of that show. It's sad. And I'm I'm just curious, as I think sort of, you know, is there is there an act of contrition that could change that? You know, is there an interview now that he could do where he seemed apologetic and regretful and he explained himself and he talked about mental illness and he talked about drugs maybe you know like is there a is there a any rehabilitation that can be done and you know or and is that a question we should really be asking at this point
2: i don't anyway? think that's the question to ask right now it's supposing too many things i don't know when we're going to get clarity on this it's the strangest thing
1: it is a truly bizarre and sad story and you can read this week's cover story on thr.com mikey thank you for joining us this week
2: Thanks for not talking about baseball. (laughs) (laughs) Number four.
1: For our fourth topic this week, Fox is going back to its favorite zip code with Brandon Kelly, Donna, Andrea, Steve, and David. That's right. Fox is bringing 90210 back, but it's not what you think. The showrunners of the CW's version of 90210 are reteaming with Jason Priestley, Jenny Garth, Ian Ziering, Gabrielle Carteris, Brian Austin Green, and Tori Spelling for a new take that's a version of Beverly Hills 90210 meets Curb Your Enthusiasm. Dan, this is an hour-long scripted dramedy with the six original stars instead playing heightened versions of themselves, attempting to shop a reboot of, you guessed it, Beverly Hills 90210 and if I may it sounds so batshit crazy on a network that just made T-Pain a proper singer on the Mass Singer that it just might work and it's going to air in the summer which is where 90210 originally launched and that's soon. Where are you on this one?
0: Can I just ask you why this is happening? <laughs> Can I ask you why it shouldn't? I don't know that it's a good idea. It Basically, it feels like what they've decided to do was take the WB show gross point from way back in the day and make it literal as opposed to veiled and kind of coy and satirical. I don't understand from many different points of view. Brian Austin Green looked like he had said, okay, I'm more than just David Silver with Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. He had come across as a genuine leading man in that and i don't know why he didn't get any kind of bump out of that i guess i understand why tori spelling is doing this jason priest she's an unscripted star too she is i guess and Um, jason's a director jason's a director ian ziering is whatever he is sharknado sharknado and gabriel carteros is the head of the screen actors go for heaven's sake president (laughs) i'm just but (laughs) to me that combination
1: of real life personalities and these are all people who have known each other since they were what in their 20s and 30s when 90210 was originally <laughs> they've known on. each other since
0: high school so when <laughs> they were 25 to school. 30. Yeah.
1: <laughs> i mean but that combination of personalities it's like sign me up where do i go to watch this happen
0: because Appare- i want to
1: i mean no no, no. i want to be on set i want to go i want to watch the magic happen as it's being filmed
0: oh the magic i i'm just perplexed by it it sounds as if like are they pretending that the cw series didn't Happen, or is that going to be like the joke of the first episode? Is that everyone is going to be like, "Where's Annalyn McCord?" And everyone's going to be like, "Who?" Would that be a funny joke for them to make? Like, 20 why wouldn't times? they bump
1: into her if they're waiting for a meeting with a network exec and she's coming out of casting? I mean, the opportunity for fun here to so like poke fun at itself and what the original nine hundred two one zero meant for the YA genre as a whole. I think it's super interesting. I think it has the potential to appeal to be a four-quadrant show, meaning it appeals to adults and kids and possibly could be some fun family co-viewing. I don't know. It's Fox. It's in the summer. The expectations for it are low. It's, what, six episodes? I mean, it gives ep- me an opportunity to go da 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 da
0: da do, 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 do. I'm concerned by the lack of Joey Tata. Where is he? I'm still at Nat's working the Peach Pit. Okay, but the Peach Pit was in the CW version of the show. Why is that not a thing? I'm, I'm How do you confused. know it's not? How do you know it's not? It is true. Anything is possible, but the lack of mention of Tiffany Ambertheson, the lack of mention of Shannon Doherty, which of course means they could be surprises.
1: I'm sure that there will be some kind of conversation or like I said, they're playing heightened versions of themselves. So think James Vanderbeek in Apartment Twenty Three, the great ABC one and done. That was it was, I, it was, it was two, two and done. done. I, I miss it more every day. But I mean the opportunity for this to bring in original stars, I think it's there. I mean, why wouldn't you if you have the opportunity?
0: I guess I'm just wondering in our world of reboot culture, whether I feel like this is more or less necessary, whether I feel like this is the version that I want of it, whether I would just assume go back to the original characters, see what they're like in their 40s and not need to worry about the meta aspect of it. Look, it's billed as a limited series.
1: What happens if this gets a season two and at the end of the season one, they're like, they find a network, maybe the CW, who sits there and says, actually, we're going to buy the fake 90210 reboot that you're pitching us in the show. In That's the heightened version of the original. I'm getting lost in my own joke here, but <laughs> you get the point. Maybe season two is them actually doing the reboot of 90210. Maybe it sells to Fox. Ugh. Look, for a network that's going back to its independent roots, we're sitting here talking about a Fox show that's going to air in the summer for a network that's losing its studio that is home to the biggest reality breakout show of the year so far.
0: It feels smart on their part. So is your pitch that the show simultaneously becomes two shows in season two, a Fox show that's a behind the scenes of the CW show that's actually airing on the CW? Or
1: or maybe instead of the CW buying it, maybe... buys it again, and you actually get to see, hey, Charlie Collier, are you available for a cameo on your show this summer?
0: This is elaborate, but I have to say it's somewhat more amusing to me than the actual thing that we're going to get. If they were to do simultaneous companion shows, one a satire behind the scenes, and one a straightforward soap opera? But what if that
1: straightforward soap opera is actually part of this show that's being rebooted? What if it's one show in the same, and you get the behind the scenes of the show, and then the actual attempt of them trying to record the show are think, you with me uh, well i think i'm my, here for it
0: i think my answer is that there's roughly a one percent chance it could be awesome and i might be curious to watch for the purposes of that one percent but i do think there's a 99 percent chance it could be awful
1: i'm <laughs> here for a 99 percent chance that it could be a train wreck but at the very least it's going to be an entertaining one yeah. i mean look we've talked extensively about the masked singer on this show and I think for what Fox is trying to accomplish with that, that is train wreck TV. But it's an uplifting hour or two hours of train wreck TV where you're watching T-Pain dance around in a giant monster costume and sing through a voice box and all this other crazy stuff. Why not? I don't well, know. Who cares if it's a mess?
0: I'm just wondering about whether it fits with the DNA. That's all it is. Like, if you were to tell me they were doing this with the OC, honestly, I would say, OK, that actually does kind of fit with. Josh Schwartz's skill set. It kind of fits with the snarky, somewhat meta tone of the show, which was a show where they had the Paris Hilton show within a show that was taking place that all the kids loved watching. And it was a thing that they were fascinated by it. There was already baked into the DNA that sort of introspective meta show. I don't know that 90210 really has that, and that doesn't mean that it can't work. My suspicion, if I had to guess, is that this is probably roughly 44 minutes of amusement, and then it's going to keep going for additional episodes, and I'll become increasingly more annoyed. But again, without having seen it, I can't say for sure. I'm just cautious
1: that's fine. Whereas I'm, I'm, all I'm in cautiously on the, optimistic.
0: Whereas I'm all in on Netflix's Babysitter's Club. New Contemporary version. reboot. Absolutely. And not actually in any reason because of the Babysitter's Club, but because it's what? It's a glow executive producer creating it. It's the director of Broad City who's directing it. Those are auspices that I can. And
1: written, the author of the original and beloved book series on board as a producer. I'm
0: less invested in that because I don't know. That. But it
1: gives it a sense of where you know what you're going to get. It's going to get the tone right. Otherwise, she wouldn't be involved. Or you hope anyway.
0: See, I have no personal investment in the Babysitter's Club, so that way I can just look and go, okay, I like the people who are doing this. Whereas, I don't know, I mean, 90210 was a show that I watched regularly. They were just starting high school when I was wrapping junior high. The summer between my senior year in high school and my freshman year in college, they had repeats on whatever channel had syndication. And I was watching... Two to three episodes a day in different cycles catching up.
1: I'm going to interrupt you because I'm going to win this argument here. Not not argument, whatever the banter that we're having here is. Conversation?
0: Is Is this a conversation with a winner? I watched the show
1: when it was on when I was in high school. I was on the phone with three-way calling with my best friends from high school. We would not talk during the show. And then as soon as it cut to commercial break, it was all about Dylan's sideburns. And I had the Luke Perry poster in my bedroom. I mean, Judge me if you will, but he looked like a very handsome lesbian at the time. So <laughs> I was not out yet. That I hadn't like seen a, that right That on the seems wall. like a
0: great transitional point to have us send out our hopes yes. for Luke Perry's sending, health. sending love uh,
1: to, to Luke Perry. So
0: we, 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 we hope he's well and recovering from whatever the details are problem with a moving target show, but we only Luke, wish yeah. him health.
1: Yeah. Best, uh, best of luck to the former Dylan McKay.
0: Yes. Uh, he is in our thoughts. But okay, so fine, you win. I did not have a poster of anybody.
1: And I'm Um, sure it's still rolled up under my mom's couch somewhere.
0: Ah, sounds like you should frame it. Put it up next to your desk at It's going to be our
1: podcast studio here at THR.
0: Okay, whatever. Again, this was a show that was important to me. Look, all they need to do Literally, all they need to do is bring back Kathleen Robertson as Claire, the chancellor's slutty daughter. And I will watch every episode of this. So if you I mean, you are, she's great
1: and should be a part of it.
0: She totally should be. Yeah. So that's all you need to do, Fox. If you want my support is bring back Claire and I am in.
1: And Fox, if you're listening, I will be available for set visits. Thank you. And as always, we wrap things up with our Critics Corner segment.
0: Number five.
1: This week, American Idol and a pair of forgotten Shondaland dramas return to ABC. HBO faces off against the Michael Jackson estate in Leaving Neverland. National Geographic airs its Oscar-winning documentary Free Solo. And NBC's Superstore returns from its three-month hiatus. Dan, what's worth watching this week?
0: There are a bunch of things worth watching. I think this week's kind of funniest thing is the sheer number of shows that you might not have remembered existed at all and that you definitely have forgotten were renewed for a second season that are coming back. So there's NBC's Good Girls that's coming back, which is a show that I really like. And I've watched the first episode of the second season. Fantastic cast. And that's all the show ever had going for it, really. But it's a very real thing is that Retta May Whitman and Christina Hendricks are great on that show and they're having a lot of fun. The show I continue to insist would be a better show if it were on Showtime or FX, if they could actually be as serialized as they want to be, if they could be as dark as they clearly want to be, et cetera. But it's, a total pleasure to watch those actors even in sort of so-so material. So that's a thing. AP Bio is coming back for its second season. You know, I don't know how many people remember that was a show that existed. Station, is it 19? Station 19. Station 19 is coming back. And if you haven't read Leslie's article about the sort of legacy and journey of Grey's Anatomy and THR, you should definitely do that. It is way the hell in depth. Thank you, my friend. (laughs) But yeah, so that's coming back and I barely remember That premiered. Lots of shows like that. I think the best thing that's coming on TV this week really is probably Free Solo, which Nachio is very excited. Just won the Oscar, and it's really good. And I think. The best thing about it being on Nat Geo is that if you're one of those people who has a fear of heights and who even watched the trailer for that movie and got genuinely nauseous, watching it on your TV is probably a safer thing. I think it is a really good documentary. I think it is about climbing and it's about Alex Homelden. It is about that, but it's also a very odd relationship drama. And the entire arc with the main character and his girlfriend is baffling and fascinating and as good as anything you'd ever get in a scripted show because no one would ever believe those two people would be a couple it's just a really good show i think that if you're on the internet the thing that's getting the most buzz is the hbo documentary series leaving neverland which i talked about out of sundance and it is a harrowing and unpleasant piece of tv but it also is intended to be that so If what you really want in this world is to get angry Michael Jackson fans to yell at you on Twitter, that is the thing that I strongly recommend watching, because who wouldn't want that? And then American Idol remains a show that's on TV.
1: That is a show that is on TV.
0: Totally. And they advertise that a lot with the Oscars also, but not quite as relentlessly, but only barely. I... I got a little tired of the American Idol promotion also.
1: That's a show I haven't watched since I think Jordan Sparks won. But I have to say, I caught some of the promos during the Oscars. And I mean, it looks it, you know, they're, <laughs> they're really promoting you know the human interest side of it. And some of those early stories and the, the commercials for them. I mean, it, it got me. And I'm not someone that watches singing competition shows.
0: It is the exact same show that it was on Fox or that it was evolving through being on Fox. Fox already by the end of its run on Fox, it had been shifting away from the William Hungs and Pants on the Floor guy and all of that and the sort of the freaks and geeks portion of the show. And it really had become kind of a big hearted, here's the sob story, get emotional, get invested, whatever thing. And that was definitely what the ABC version of the show was last year. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm not going to watch. I have my DVR season recording set, whether I'm going to be fast forwarding through large chunks of it is something different. But american idol is what american idol is and guess what if you haven't watched since jordan sparks you could tune in and you would really be able to pick up the plot like (laughs) immediately well that
1: feels like a good note to end things on thank you for listening to tv's top five the hollywood reporters tv podcast we'll be back next week until then be sure to subscribe on your various podcast
0: platforms and if you like us you should maybe kind of rate us or write reviews saying nice things about us. Say hi on Twitter. We Tweet about that. the podcast. Tell your friends. Uh, word of mouth is always important in the podcasting space. So if you like us, let folks know, let us know, etc.
1: Until next week, Leslie. Until next week, Dan.
2: It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash.
1: 18 plus.